Hello, and welcome to Searching with JTG. My name is Jason Tyler Grace. I'm an artist and a writer, and I've been tattooing now for over 21 years. For the majority of my life, I've been searching for some kind of meaning, some kind of significance, searching for some answer as to why any of this life exists at all. I've struggled through many of my 42 years, and I've learned a lot along the way. I finally feel like I'm in a place now where I've obtained some form of peace and purpose. This podcast is my way of sharing conversations with people that I admire. I want to find out what it is they've experienced over the course of their lives, how their creativity has influenced their existence, how they've found their way, and what they've learned along their journey. I believe that we are all more than what we do, that we are more than the art we make or how we make our living and that our struggles and triumphs can help bring us all together in this human experience. These conversations are with people that I admire and celebrate, people that I look at and wonder how they do what they do. What is it that made them who they are? And I'm so excited to share this interview with Chuco Moreno. Chuco is a tattooer in Merced, California. I've watched him and the work he makes from afar over the years. I remember walking by him in the Bowery when I was working in New York City and wanting to say hello, but not wanting to bother him. And I was probably running late, so I didn't. He's super easy to recognize. He looks like the quintessential Chicano, like the quintessential Vato. He carries his Cholo heritage with pride, and it is interwoven into the fabric of everything that he does. I watched his star rise from afar, mainly through Instagram. The work he was sharing was killer. It had so much style. But what really began to stand out to me was what he was sharing along with his tattoos. He was spreading a message of positivity. He was sharing some of his history, his love for his family, where he came from, and where he is now. And there was such a positivity to it that I couldn't help but get all jazzed up. There was a message behind his work, and that thrilled me to see. I was a little nervous to talk to him, as he was one of the first people I interviewed for these podcasts that I didn't know. And man, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. And I left this conversation exhilarated and inspired and so excited to share it with everybody. I'm sure many of you will feel the same way. And I thank you for sharing your time, for taking the time to listen. I know that there's a ton of podcasts out there and uh, that you would take the time to check this one out means a lot. I hope that it brings some good to your life, and enjoy. So anyhow, good to see you, Jason. Yeah, you too, man. Mucho gusto. I've been uh, watching you yeah. for a long time. So. Yeah. I um, I was telling my woman, she said, how do you know this vato? And I said, well, um, I remember meeting him. Um, uh through big phil and through ryan greggs back in uh the very beginning of my professional tattooing what in Stock- yeah i think i think in stockton or maybe sf no ryan greg ryan greg had known you and so i think maybe it had been at a convention or something like that and then we crossed paths well i have no recollection of that i think <laughs> yeah it was pretty fucked up back in those days i think you were having fun or not yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a mix of both yeah 
Yeah, but thanks for thanks for uh, coming on and doing this with me. Yeah, no sweat, man. Um, the the message that you wrote me, um, it aligned with kind of where I'm at right now. So I was like, oh wow, you know, I'll take that as a uh, I'll take that as a nudge, you know. And so um, I saw an opportunity to talk about things that I normally don't get the opportunity to talk about because most people. Um, when they want to do an interview or have a conversation about me, it's purely based on uh, my race, my heritage and uh, the art of tattooing, which I love all those topics. They're all very yeah. near and dear, but I think people uh, in general forget that I'm a human being too. So I'm traveling down uh, the path of life and I'm experiencing it just like everyone else. So uh, there's a lot more to the conversation. If somebody's open-minded enough to have those, those talks with me, um, but I've input on those things too, you know, and I think a lot of that gets skipped sometimes. And I, I, uh, you know, currently it's like, I sit back sometimes homes and I think, wow, how did I get here? Um, I, I went from, uh, you know, a, a pretty troubled person, uh, living, definitely living, uh, a troubled life and, and shy at my core, I'm a shy person, you know, I, I never dealt with anybody outside of my, uh, my ethnic background, or even, um, I mean, to put it bluntly, I didn't really associate with anybody that wasn't in my, in my clique or in my neighborhood, you know what I mean? Yeah. So to, to even talk to somebody, uh, outside of that bubble for a long time was very intimidating. So, so when I wake up this morning and, uh, I look at the to-do list and I see a podcast with JTG, I start laughing. Cause I'm like, look at you. You know, would get very spooked and like break a sweat while tattooing a soccer mom with a butterfly on her leg or something, you know, and she asked me anything that was outside of what color do you want? Or she wanted in the tattoo It make me very nervous. Huh. And, uh, so I'm, I'm grateful that I've overcome those hurdles and I can sit down and have a conversation with someone normal. You know, people don't realize that that's a, that's a feat in itself for some people. Yeah, totally. And I never, I never would have guessed that, you know, looking at, uh, your Instagram and looking at uh, just what I know of you, which isn't a ton. I've, I've really, we've, I guess we did get to meet in person, but mm -hmm. uh, I've kind of just been watching you do what you do. And I've been in awe of it. And I've been really impressed with how you, what you share and what you uh, speak about is so much more than just tattooing. And I feel like that that's something that we have in common. And uh, it's really, it's a beautiful thing to see because I think that you have a big influence and the fact that you want to use that towards the greater good is, uh, is really cool. And the fact that you've overcome shyness to be able to do that is fucking awesome too. Man, I appreciate uh, you saying all that. Um, uh, yeah, you know, like... Um, everything is in everything's in layers right like you know um step one or first day at school was uh well here here if i if i rewind the tape a little bit let me just lay this out in in a, in a fast term mode so there was there was obvious hurdles in my life that i had to overcome to even be in a position to entertain anything in the realm of what's happening in my life now like these anything that i've accomplished or anything that i've experienced in my life friendships traveling, um, success on any level, 
um, or self-finding or self-happiness. Um, all these things were completely off the table uh, because of where I was at inside, right? So uh, it took, you know, a, 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 I would say a decade just to get to the point where I would even agree to anything uh, that was outside of that comfort zone, you know? And my comfort zone was very different than a lot of people. People are like, when they talk about their comfort zone, sometimes I believe, or I interpret them to be talking about like, you know, maybe it's like having lunch with friends or going out to an event, a football game or something like that. My comfort zone was being at the pad headquarters with my family uh, and, and plotting against our enemies who lived the next town over, watching my uncle, you know, blast heroin into his vein every day and, and living in total dysfunction. But that was comfort to me. And I felt very at home in that. Well, what happened was, uh, well, what happened was Amber. <laughs> so I, I meet my soulmate at a point in my life where I, I'm at a hell of a crossroads because I've been bred and, and, and groomed to be this dude, you know, uh, I was getting ready to inherit the neighborhood and, uh, and, and take the reins, you know, and, and, and guide a bunch of young men down a path of destruction, which I believe to be victory and, and, and a glorified version of reality. So I meet this wonderful girl and, you know, she's, she, she saw life, uh, through different lens than I, than I, I knew possible. So she like helped me to see myself and see life in a total different lane. And I was like, Whoa, it scared the hell out of me, but it also, uh, it rang real true with me. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to follow this. And not only am I, not only am I, am I falling in love with this person, but I'm also learning from her and, 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 you know, uh, we're both growing up in our life circumstance. So we learned from each other, but she had things and gifts to offer me that uh, that I couldn't find those in my normal life. You know what I mean? Dudes are like, you know, this is how you make a, a one-shot filetto out of an orange pill. You got to know this. Uh, you need to read um, The Art of War 16. You need to know this thing. And uh, these are all preparations for a different life that I was set to live. And so all of a sudden, when that got interrupted, it just, it really threw me off my seat. For a lot of years, I didn't know who I was. You know, I was like, Okay, so I've walked away from this other directional path and thank, thank the universe that when it came time for me to try and step into what people consider a normal life or find an occupation, tattooing was waiting there for me. And so, you know, a lot of times I, I use the term the magic of tattooing and, and what I'm describing, what I'm speaking on is just that. The power of tattooing in my life experience has not only changed my life dramatically, but it's given me the ability to uh, change other people's lives. And, and to, um, I mean, I've crossed barriers through the art of tattooing that are previously thought impossible. I've, I've built bridges with enemies that, I mean, solid steel and, and, and barbed wire and bullets couldn't budge those bridges. But, you know, tattooing was this, this oddball thing that everybody admired and appreciated and it would, it would captivate either side of this the line long enough to say you know what you're kind of like me matter of fact we have a lot of similarities and the things that we dislike about each other are things that we've been bred to uh to uh despising each other they're, they're they're smaller than you know perceived and smaller than the rhetoric taught so um yeah you know it's just been like an evolution for me uh 
not not just in tattooing and getting better at tattooing and learning to tattoo um, in places that I would consider way out of my league or, or, you know, taking on and tackling clients or jobs that were, you know, as a tattoo, you know what I'm saying? When I say, you know, like back pieces or big work, those are accomplishments in that, in that life and tattooing, but like uh, running concurrent with that was, I was tackling these things that were scary to me in my personal life, you know, like doing the things that made me feel really uncomfortable. Uh, it kind of became like, um, those are the things I just felt inherently, those are the things I need to be doing to grow because I, I haven't reached who I really am or discovered who I really am or what I really want to do. And so taking on those kinds of opportunities like this here, sitting with you and just having a civil conversation about real topics, you know, these are things that, you know, they make me uncomfortable, but I like that. Yeah. You know? Cause was, I'm like, you know what? You're growing homes, you know? Yeah. I always think that uh, struggle accompanies progress. There is no Absolutely. progression without struggle. It's how we get stronger mentally, Absolutely. emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, so how old were you when you met Amber? Um, I was probably, uh, I want to say 14 and a half, almost 15. Wow. And you're how old uh, now? I'm 43. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I was going through your Instagram and I think one of the, you're the first person that I've, I've talked with that I don't really know very well. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I should just talk to him without, you know, without any information, but I went through and kind of, uh, you know, just looked through some stuff and I read this and I thought it was so beautiful. And mm. you wrote this about Amber it says this one woman, this very special lady, She's it for me. All I'll ever need or want lies in her. She's the only woman I've ever loved. And even if I lived a thousand lives, I would spend every one of them searching for her for all time. She's given me so much I could on my own never obtain. Her beauty is all my eyes can even see, Holmes. I only wake up every morning so that I can watch her cross from my dreams and into my day. That is so fucking beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like uh, they, you know, they say that um, the most powerful words spoken um, are the ones that come straight from your heart and from a, a deep source inside. And, um, you know, like when, when I wake up on that day to post that thing on, on the InstaWeb homes on, on, on the Instagram, I, it's not a um, it's not a thing that I planned or I, 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 I contrived. It was like I woke up and I literally had that experience where I look over and I see this this beautiful woman that, that, uh, that I have the, you know, the blessing to be with. And, and, um, I felt that love. So in between showering, shaving, creasing my khakis, I, I just start writing these things just come out sometimes. And sometimes I'll write this whole thing out and, uh, I'll press play homes without even like thinking about it, you know? And, and then sometimes there's been occasions where I'm like, Whoa, what did you even just say right now? I'm like, you just bled out your heart, <laughs> you know, and uh, how, how, you know, and, and, and the, the ego side of me is like, well, what will people think? But I, I, I'm usually strong enough to realize that in this life, in this experience, the opinions of others, it, it really amounts to very little to none. And it's, it's really about, uh, and I'm learning this like every day, I swear, Jason, I learned this stronger. It's that, um, a true life lived is, is, is your experience to its fullest, like, like 
finding your highest path daily and just following that, whatever it is. And it might lead you to failure, humility, or, or you may make a fool of yourself. But I, I don't think those are failures, man. I think that those are opportunities to, uh, to learn humility, to, to realize you're not that tight, brother. You know, you're yeah. just a dude, Holmes, and, and everybody uh, on this plane, this, this existence that we're experiencing right now, life, the physical life, we're all uh, making errors, growing and learning. And if you're not, man, I feel sorry for you because, you know, if you go into that cookie cutter job, Holmes, and pretending you love your mate when you can't stand their face and, and just going through the motions, that's not really living life, you know? And, and I'm not saying that life was meant to be bliss nine, nine, you know, nine to five. It's not like that. It's, I have, I have big ups. I have big downs like everyone. And I experience uh, everything in between in the spectrum, you know, people being very nice to me, showing me tons of love. And then on the other side, you know, um, I recently had uh, local law enforcement, you know, do a home invasion on my home and, and, and destroy our house and, you know, torment and uh, hurt, hurt my family. And so it's like, I've seen it all. I've been back and forth. And when people are really uh, genuinely appreciative of, of what I'm doing, whether it's in the tattoo lane or, or it's something like you just spoke, touched on, like uh, sharing like a, a, a more softer side of, of me or, or my love for my woman or the way I feel about my family or the interactions that I have uh, under my roof. Um, I, I love those, those times too. And I, and I count them as blessings, but you know, I just learn I'm learning homes that no matter what it is, even if you get your teeth kicked in literally, there's something to be gained by that. And I, and I had read something somewhere and it, and it, and, and it said, um, I had heard it and it said, uh, no man is your friend and no man, uh, is your enemy. All men are your teachers. And, and what, what I think that means to say is, is just that, that, you know, don't take it so personally, man, you know, like, uh, bad things are going to come and happen to the best people on the planet. And there's two ways to take that on that kind of a situation. You can either, you know, a lot of what happened to my family recently, I, I honestly believe that would have broke a lot of families, man. It was very financially, uh, you know, and, and monetarily, it was a huge kick in our teeth and we didn't see that coming. And um, it was an opportunity though, looking back, you know, I was sitting in a jail cell after not sitting in a cell. Hey, Holmes, I haven't hit the yard in 20 something years. So for me to walk out in the yard and my homeboy pancake is like, what are you doing here? Like Chuko, what the hell are you doing here? And I had to tell the dude, I don't even know. I don't know why I'm here. But when I went back to my rack and I sat on my bunk, I laid there and they had sold me up with my uncle Jack that night. So I'm sitting there and uh, I'm just thinking about what's going on. I'm kind of floored by it, but I thought here's a chance for me to do one of two things. I can revert. And, and I can get very gangster because I know how to do that. I spent a, a big chunk of my life learning how to uh, intimidate and overpower uh, people that I perceive to be my enemies. Or, and, and I know what that brings. Uh, and there's no fruit bared from that tree. Um, so so I, I started thinking to myself on that rack, you know, my woman, she's in a cell in a different part of this facility. My son, my uncle, like my family right now, is hurting and they're scared i'm pretty sure they're scared homes and and i've been through this i've lived this and they haven't so they've watched me endure this thing early on in our in our life you know in our experience but for them to actually be there with me it was a whole different uh, uh 
experience where I felt very responsible for their uh, mental safety and their well-being because I knew that if they see me start to crack and trip out and go, oh my God, you know, I'm going to prison and I didn't do this and get spooked. Um, that was really going to crush their spirits because they, they think so highly of me. And, and so, and they also know that I'm a peaceful, loving man. And, and so I really had to, I really had to find out, am I just some dude who talks a lot of fellow, you know, says a lot of big fancy words and, you know, set and spouts all this positive stuff, but really can't hold it down when it's, when you're on the yard, literally, you know, can you do that? You know, and that was a real test for me as a person to say, you know what, I'm going to choose, uh, I'm going to choose a higher path. And because I did that, you know, there's been huge blessings, uh, throughout that whole ordeal, which we're still going through, but, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, for everyone in your life, everyone out there, there's so much opportunity to grow. If you're willing to go into the darkness and really just stare at it and just deal with it, not run, not shield, not place blame, not, you know, not resort with, you know, the easiest, lowest vibrating, you know, mechanism on your tool belt, which is like hate and then, you know, revenge. So I don't know. Man. Um, so I don't know that that's a brutal story about getting your home raided by the fucking cops. And this was during the past four years with, with Trump as president. Right. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of tension surrounding, uh, just non-white people in the United States. Well, for, for us, it, ha it actually happened two days before Christmas last year. Um, and on the day that they did this, um, my grandmother had passed that morning. So I had my mother with us um, to help her through the morning process. My mother has a rare brain disorder. So her, her mind functions after, um, you know, she's had many episodes where she loses uh, brain functionality and uh, cognizance. So she, she's, she's, um, she's more like a daughter to me. You know, she, she has like the mental capacity or experience of like a 12-year-old child. So her mother passing was like, really really devastational for this for this for my mother so i have her here and she's a disabled lady and so we're getting ready we're preparing for the holiday we're making tamales we're trying to amber's making cookies with my mom with my jefita you know and i had tattooed that day um and so it was really like not just like i've been ready many times i've had the feds hit the pad i've had the phones tapped i've been through all of it so that's not what it is. You know, it's like Amber's been there many times where they bashed the door and they got the beams all over. It's bad. But this was so different in the way that in those days when that was happening, yeah, I was really doing what they were saying. So it was kind of like, I, I'm, I'm, I consider myself solid in the way that if I was, if I'm actively committing crime, I've already embraced the fact that at some point it's going to be my turn to lose homes and I'm going to turn around and put my hands behind my back. And I'm not going to cry about that. Uh, because it comes with the territory, you know, and, and so, but for this to happen when, you know, we've tried to put so much good into the world, um, and at a time when we were very vulnerable, you know, if, if you, if you dig what I'm saying, like my Hafita and he being here and her mother passing my grandmother and then the holidays upcoming, um, and I, my son, my youngest boy, you know, his birthday is, uh, the day before Christmas. So there's all these celebratory things that were supposed to happen and we were making the best of it in the midst of a loss from the family. So to compound it with that, you know, it's, it's kind of like this in retrospect, I look back and uh, they say, you know, um, 
whether, whatever your belief system is, you know, God has a, has a, a funny um, sense of humor or he only gives you what you can handle. I, I considered that jolt to be like uh, the grand finale, you know, I was like, wow, bro. <laughs> 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 Dang, I was like, you must think I am one chingo to take this. You know, I was like, wow, you know, uh, what else could you do? Step on my Stacy's and spit in my face, you know, it was bad. <laughs> so anyways, uh, but yeah, I grew through it and I'm growing through it as we speak, you know, and I, I see positive, I see positive side of it. And uh, I think there's power in that, man, real power. There is, man. And what, <clears throat> what you're talking about, the way that you handled that has so much to do with a, a lot of philosophy that there that the world exists outside of ourselves. Our, our world is internal and the way that we interpret the world and interact with the world, whether we choose to hate it or resent it, or whether we choose to forgive or to love and how you dealt with that situation that was completely out of your control and you chose to take that higher path speaks to your, uh, I don't know, speaks to your heart and, and your mental strength, you know, your, your mental attitude and, and your vision of your place in the world. I think it's inspirational. Thanks, man. Yeah. You know, like, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were going to speak. I, I was going to ask uh, if you could give us, so where did you grow up in, in LA? No, uh, this is a common misconception. Um, the whole world believes that I'm from East Los Angeles. <laughs> hey, is on, you know, he's down there on, you know, on the boulevard, homes, you can find him. But uh, that's just a byproduct of, um, you know, this synthetic reality uh, that we all uh, engage with on the interweb, you know. The fact of the matter is, I'm from a small town in Northern California. Uh, I'm from Lockford, homes. Um, uh, and that's just uh, the reason why that people automatically uh, perceive that I'm from L.A. is one, because I think I really cut my teeth in my tattoo career while I was in Los Angeles, while I lived there. And, um, you know, I went on national TV and, 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 and spoke about tattooing and, and myself and my culture. And I think that got stamped with the L.A. stamp, which is fine. You know, um, I don't have a. I don't have a big enough desire to, to make everybody know um, what, what I want them to believe about myself. It's like, take what you will, bro. I, I just don't have enough investment in that, in other people's opinions to be like, no, no, no. But if you ask me, I'll always try and be a truthful man. You know, like um, I'm like any, any real Vato. I never deny where I'm from. My neighbor, that's still sacred to me and not in the way of like gang ties or anything. Um, underbelly like that it's just uh you know if you ask somebody from san francisco they're like you know san francisco i'm from san francisco or you ask somebody from los angeles very there's city pride in that and stuff like that and i have some of that too you know i'm proud of where i'm from um but yeah i grew up in a small town uh in northern california and and when people ask where is that at because not no one knows where that is uh i, I say it's in between stockton and sacramento closer to stockton than sacramento and if anybody out there is familiar with Stockton, it's it's a wild place. Uh, yeah, Diaz Brothers. yeah, but it, that see that's like uh, <laughs> I, I don't know Stockton from that, and I know Nick and Nate. I've known them for many years, but I don't. 
Um, I have friends who train with them and very close with them. I've never got into the fight thing on that level, but um, Stockton, if you're from the region, it, it, it is a, it is a very, unfortunately, it's a very dangerous and violent place, you know, um, and it's been a huge hub for gang activity since, you know, the 60s, 70s, whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I grew up was there. And, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Redding, California. Uh, when I was really young and my mother and my father uh, broke ties, um, she fled as far north as her gas tank would allow. And that, you know, that landed us in Redding, California, which is even way further up Northern California, which is at that time. And I don't spend any time there um, currently. I, I wouldn't even know what to tell you what the topography is like as, as far as like, is there Hispanics there? Are there at different ethnicities or is it all just Hicktown? You know, I don't know. But when I was there, it was very, very, um, you know, it was in the early eighties and it was very, it was kind of like uh, a scene from Napoleon Dynamite, but also there was that, you know, there was no real ethnic, I didn't know any Mexicans to be honest in my school. So I went from this total, um, you know, Chicano based, upbringing then I land in this place while I'm still really young and impressionable and I remember feeling that like I'm different and I never really even never crossed my mind before that you know and then because of the way people interacted with me or or the, I saw the way that people perceived me or wrote wrote me off type thing um I started getting thick skin about it you know and and uh I the only do the closest thing to a vato over there was um you probably know him is uh Miguel Montgomery. Oh Watch yeah. It. Yeah. So I met Miguel when I was probably like six years old oh, and, uh, and he's from Reading. So he's an Indian, he's native, but, uh, his, his older cousins and, and all his uncles are like, uh, they're all, you know, prison style Indian dudes who are going in and out of Susanville state prison. So they have this vatoness about them. So I gravitated towards him, me and my, my brother, um, and he was a badass skateboarder at the time. And uh, yeah, then I, I, I caught my first serious charge there in, in Redding, California, and I got shipped back down this way. And I, I lost track of that dude, but I bumped back into him in Lodi, California. Years and years later, I think I was like 21. I was walking down the street to get a beer and I see this dude and he's staring at me, I'm staring at him. It's one of those situations where I know that about them, man. I know this dude, but I wasn't sure. So I was getting ready to tell him, hey, what the hell are you looking at? And, you know, he says my name and I'm like, Miguel. And so we reunited there and he's, you know, he, that's the first time I'd ever heard the term um, tattooer. Huh. Uh, you know, he had just started uh, tattooing at a place called Hard Luck in Lodi, California. And so he was already a tattooer and he had tattooed in Sacramento a little bit before he made it there. So he's telling me, yeah, I'm a tattooer. And I was like, what does that mean? You know? And at that point I was already I've been tattooing, you know, in the neighborhood anyway. And so I got a taste of professional tattooing there, which, which, uh, put a feather in my cap and kind of gave me a, uh, indication that there was something bigger than just, you know, me tattooing off the backside of my porch for a case of Budweiser. There was actual, like, you know, uh, craft happening in the world. Um, and I didn't, I didn't make that connection or I didn't move towards that just yet. Cause I was still pretty tangled up in, in my old lifestyle, but, um, yeah. And, uh, what about, so would you 
could you share about your family, like what your what your childhood was like? I think you and I, would, I think you would agree that our uh, our childhood, our environment has a, a big effect on on who we are as an adult, right? Like we're yeah absorbing well, the world, and I'm curious as to what it was like for you as a kid. Well, um, you know, uh, before I started doing my own thinking and, and, uh, searching for my own truths and looking for knowledge in other places other than the obvious, which would come from family or homeboys or associates or things like that. Um, yeah, growing up, I absorbed all the dysfunction that you can imagine, you know, I seen it all. And, and it was around that. I, I don't want to paint a picture of, of, of total like negativity and darkness. Cause that's not the case. My family, uh, my mother is, is, is one of the most loving creatures crawling on the earth. I just, she's so, even now, you know, like to this day, she is just such a, an understanding and accepting human being. And so I definitely uh, was exposed to that, but I also, you know, my dad was a harsh dude. And so, you know, I, I, I seen, I seen my dad, you know, knocking my mom's teeth out and, and stabbed her in front of us once. And, and, you know, like this dude was gnarly and he did many things, you know, he bring prostitutes to the pad and he's this crazy dude, Holmes. And he had his own demons. And I hated this Vato for most of my life. You know, in my twenties, I took a few shots at him. He, he made the mistake coming to my neighborhood, thought he would drop in and say hi after not seeing this dude for, I don't know how many years, decade. And I took great offense to that. And he came with one of his other children, you know, to my house. And I was out in the street drinking beers with the homeboys. I came up to my apartment and he was sitting at my kitchen table with my jefita, my mom. I, was, I couldn't compute that. But when I did re realize what happened, I ran to my room and grabbed, grabbed a gun. And uh, he kind of he seen what was going on. He took off with his kid. But I dumped on him all the way out of the neighborhood, you know, and let him know, don't come here, Holmes. You know, you are not welcome in my house. And I dealt with that anger uh because of the things he'd done to my mother because of the things he'd done to me and my brother you know um so i had a lot of rage pent up in me because of that and and as a kid you know like you just said you absorb things and you don't really know how to um maneuver or manage that type of information when you're young so it comes out in different ways and sometimes um you know, if you don't have somebody wise or open-minded or, or caring enough to lend you their wisdom, it becomes a situation where you're going to mirror what you see in the people that you associate with until you're strong enough as a human being, an individual to say, wait a minute. Um, you know, all these things that have been placed on my life, I don't, I don't identify with them all. And, and I, and I don't agree with almost 90% of them. And that happened for me like later in life where I just had this it was like an awakening, bro. It was, it was <laughs> uh, I can't describe it any other way. It was like, I just woke up one day and I was like, okay, so let's look, let's do, let's do the uh, Chuko checklist, Holmes. So you're a gang member. You're, uh, you know, you're raised Catholic, diehard. You're, you know, you're this, you're this, you're this. And I started looking at all these things and I was like, how many of those choices did I make for myself? And how many of these things that I say that I am, or they say that I am, am I really, am I really these things, you know, and that question alone opened a whole new world to me. Like I started for the first time saying, I'm going to make the decisions, Holmes. I'm not going to be nobody's product or, or protege. And I, it really caused a lot of disruption in my life for a minute, because when you try and break your paradigm, you're 
not only trying to disprove or fix dysfunction in your life, this is generational. My mom, my dad, my dad's dad, you know what I'm saying? You're going way, 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 way back. And until somebody in a family lineage is either strong enough, awake enough, or aware enough to confront these issues and to find a solution to these long running problems that like, it, you can look at any family, bro. And it's like, it's obvious. It's if you're looking at it through that lens, you're like, damn, he was this way. Now he's this way. He's a, you hear it all the time. They're like, we got alcoholism in our family and you accept that in your subconscious. So you start drinking and you're like, well, I'm just, I'm part of this family. It's what we do. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I just started questioning everything. I was like, where's my loyalty to myself? You know, I'm like, I'm like faking the funk on all these other different versions of me that people placed on me. I want to know what I'm down for homes. And when I started f uh, figuring those, those answers out, I was passionate and, and pitted to move towards them, you know, whether it was in what I did for a living, because all of a sudden I just came to this, when I quit, quit committing crime to support my family, that was a scary, vulnerable place because I didn't know how to do anything. I knew how to manage men. I knew how to organize, uh, you know, criminal situations. I knew how to run yard. I knew how to do these things, but those had no bearing in the world that I was walking into. And on top of that, I'm an, I'm an ex-con and I'm tattooed. I got face tats. I got neck tats, you know, like I, I had everything against me. And, and so I kept acquiring these really dead end, nowhere going jobs, you know, slave, slave jobs. And I would be, you know, hanging off a telephone pole, doing cable construction in Benicia. And I'd be like, what are you doing, homie? Like, who are you? Who even are you right now, Holmes? Like, yeah, your, your video, you know, you, you walked away from, from a whole lifestyle of, of doing uh, crimes and all these things, but like, you're a telephone worker guy now or whatever the hell? And I just, I, the answer was always no. I would sit in my Iraq in my, in my, um, in my hotel, everybody else would go out to the steakhouse or whatever. I would sit there and think about my life and think, this can't be it, Holmes. I, I just, I'd rather, you know, throw a rope around that line and jump, then if this is it for me, I can't. And I knew that. And, and, and that was a powerful motivation for me to say, what do you want to do? And I started just walking into tattoo shops at that time and sitting down. And people were very uncomfortable about that because there's this Vata who just walked through the door and he's pretty rough looking dude and he's just sitting here he ain't talking to nobody and just he ain't asking no me. questions on. and i just but i didn't mean to intimidate but i was curious i was genuinely curious and i would go i was working in vallejo and um Nevada and all, all in the bay area all the way to san francisco and i would just walk into tattoo shops and uh because i had no idea what was going on there. i knew nothing about it but something inside me was saying you know you tattoo you know how to tattoo Maybe you can do this because I was seeing dudes were putting on these tattoos and I was seeing highness and dudes passing, you know, a knot of money. And I was like, whoa, you know, I wasn't used to seeing that kind of money unless it was you're slanging drugs. or I got a ski mask on. That's the only way I knew to get that type of money. So to see it legitimately be de being done in an artistic environment, I was like, whoa, OK. Orale. So I started, you know putting energy into that thought that maybe I could do this. And it came in such a funny way when it finally came uh, years and years later, it came in, uh, it came in exact the way that I, that I would expect it to like totally out of left field and such a crazy set of circumstances and tattooing was just like your turn, Chuka, what do you got? You know? 
to pat you, so. pat you on the shoulder. Yeah. So, well, uh, okay, I want to get to that. I want to find out about how you got your start. But I'm curious whether uh, Amber had a role to play in, in that awakening that you had. Like you said that when you got with her, it kind of changed the way that you started to see things and you were feeling things differently and kind of got to see a different uh, aspect of life. Was Were those questions that you got through Amber, did those challenge what you had known before? Was it was the awakening a result of somewhat to do with her? I think I hear, I hear, what, you're, I hear what you're asking. I, I'm going to try and answer it best I can. It was, I think it was this. I think looking back that um, because she she budged me enough off my pedestal of where I was at to where I was like unbalanced and vulnerable that when I started having these different thoughts and I would come home all excited and I'd be like, babe, like this and this, you know, um, she was always there to support me. And she had told me early on, like I remember her and I, um, the place that I lived was my, uh, it was my aunt's house, but it was like headquarters. Like, you know, if, if you got out and you're on parole or whatever, everybody was there, right? This was the spot. This is where we, everybody was there. And uh, there was this sandwich truck that was converted into like a, a trailer. And that's where I was at in the back. So Amber and I are laying in the rack there one day. And, and I just, I remember her telling me more than once that you're better than this, you know? no disrespect i know how i know how how near and dear your family and the this whole thing that you guys have i know that and i'm not discrediting that i'm just telling you that you're not even though you've done horrible things and you you're involved in these things you're just i see she saw more and 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 uh i want to say that was the first time that outside of my mom you know but coming from your mother a lot of times you get it you hear it distorted and it's not too much later you realize damn they knew what they were saying the whole time but to hear it from Amber, who was like, she's a homegirl, you know, like this girl grew up in my neighborhood. She knows all the homeboys. She's she's with us. So uh, for her to make that statement, it was it was clear and bold in my in my understanding. And, and it kind of like. It just it just came at the right time to where I would accept that, because before that, I would say, hey, you know, I would consider that weakness to even entertain the idea. Like, what do you mean better? You know, what do you think? I'm some softy, something like that. Very machismo, ignorant headed mentality but um to this day that woman you know <laughs> if i if i get off course which i do she's the one that's like she knows me so well that that woman. you know how they say like older folks the dude's kind of sitting there and the woman can finish the sentences we have that it's like you know it's, it's an energetic thing where this woman knows me so inside and out and deeply that she really does know who I am. So if I start to stray from that or not be uh, truthful to myself or if I'm being angry or, or negative, that girl will bounce that back at me right away. And I know it's coming from a pure source. So I know to get right. And I know that um, it's in my best interest, you know, to, to remember like what I, what I really do believe in currently and, and things like that. So she's always just kind of been an angel in my life as the best way I could describe it. That was always there to forgive me, uh, to love me. And, and let me just say this on her behalf. That's probably the most gangster. She's upstairs in my office. Uh, she's probably the most gangster, uh, Heine I've ever, she's more gangster than all the dudes I was running with this girl. 
You know what I mean? Like she, she survived me at my like fieriest moments in life. And she never punked out homes. Never. Like this girl went to all the court dates and lied. She did. She brought everything inside to the jailhouse. She made sure she would go home. She would visit me and then go so I could see my child, go pick up shoes so that I could give them to one of the homeboys on the yard. Like just so many things like die hard down. And, um, you know, when I come home and I was trying to get right and I'm working these terrible jobs, she would have her mom, you know, buy like, I, I didn't never, I never ate a Twinkie. I didn't even know what Doritos tasted like. Cause that was like rich people food. You know what I'm saying? It was like beans and rice, bro. That's where I came up. So she would pack me sack lunches with these like badass, you know, like if you're the, the, the daughter of a police officer and you're in, in grade school, you pulled out your sun kiss, you pulled out your Twinkies, you know what I'm saying? And you had this badass little lunch. I never got to experience that. And Amber was a person in my life who gave me that she, you know, I got sick one time with the flu and she came to the house and we say this all the time. I believe that's the day I like really fell in love with this girl. She brought me some black corduroy house shoes and a Subway sandwich with some soup. And I remember, you know, in that lifestyle where I was living, my family loved me, but we're all thugs. Homes. We're the real deal, hardened dudes. And even my Thea, my aunt, who was the woman in the house, she's a badass woman too you know like she's no joke she is tougher than most dudes i'll ever meet and so there was no like no sissyhood homes like suck it like nobody like oh are you okay let me none of that homie it was like if you even like sat on the couch too long dudes were looking at you like all right lady, man come on homes you know you need a kleenex or what but amber came and babied me and i'd never had that so i was like man <laughs> I don't know. I love yeah, this like an angel, man. That's great. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. So tell me about when the tattoo gods tapped you on the shoulder and you got that first opportunity. Okay. Um, let me see if I can get this right. So uh, right around the time when I started working um, like these dead end jobs, I kept getting laid off, you know, and I couldn't really support the family ugh, very well, excuse me. So. And you had how many kids at this, at this point? I had three. So we would move, you know, I would have to move in with my in-laws in the middle bedroom of their home. And that was already, you know, very humiliating. And uh, to put this in perspective, so I grew up on Parkdale, uh, excuse me, I grew up on Coquille. Amber grew up on Parkdale. So we're like one street over from each other. Now in my neighborhood as a whole, you know, like we ran that neighborhood hard and we owned that town, but our street, you knew like that's where the homies are at. And there were certain streets, but Amber street, there was like, you know, nine to five people living out middle-class American lives. And her family was part of that. So in my opinion, in, in everybody else's opinion in my like she was a rich girl right and uh so for me to move into that house and all the homeboys see me shucking all my kids into this one bedroom you know and i and i'm having a hard time supporting myself finding work um it was that situation and my uncle jack came one day and said hey i found some work uh i know you're laid off and, and you're you're suffering right now i got some work pays 200 bucks a day and, uh, you know, I was like, hey, Holmes, I told you I don't I don't do that no more, you know, because 200 bucks a day at this time was like 
that was good money. You know, it'd probably be equivalent to like, I don't know, 500 a day now. And so I thought it was crime related. And I said, I, you know, I can't do that. Homes. And he's like, no, 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 it's not that. So he just more or less told me dress real nice. I'm going to pick you up tomorrow and take you. We're going to get these jobs. I said, okay. So, you know, I spent a lot of time on the ironing board. I, I do every day, but I, you know, I, I was conscious of like, I needed like, I had the hair and everything homes like decked out. Right. And, uh, he calls and says, I can't make it for one reason or another. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what do you, mean? you know, I'm all excited about this job. I got, I'm ready. Homes. He said, go there anyways. I'll give you the address. And I didn't want to go because I didn't know what it was. And, and like I had said before, I was still very uh, insecure about functioning outside of my neighborhood or outside of that group of people. And it felt something like it was going to be like that. You know, it felt like going to another job audition. And those are, those are hard for me. I didn't, I'm trying to sell myself to this dude who already is like, look at this Vato, you know what I mean? Come on. So I go to this place, it's in Stockton and it was at the, uh, at the Radisson hotel. So when I'm pulling in the driveway into the parking lot, there's like three, 400 people standing out there and I'm tripping out. I'm like, what the hell is this? But I see nothing but homeboys. These are dudes I knew from the street, from jail. You know, I'm like, what the hell's going on? I thought it was a parole scheme because back in those days, what they would do is they would offer, they would send you in the mail a letter and it would say, hey, you want an all expense paid trip to Hawaii with your family. You just got to come pick it up and they give you an address. And if you didn't know what time it was and you were in school, you go there all excited with your family. Eh! And then they'd say, put your hands behind your back. Boom, you're going to jail. So I'm thinking it's one of these things. I'm like, oh, man, I knew it, bro. Too good to be true. So I'm getting ready to jam, but I see this dude I know, and he's flagging me over. Chooks, chooks, come on, homie, Kyle. So I'm kind of leery still. I get off, I go, <clears throat> and I walk up to him in the line, and I go, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, we're trying to get this gig, man. It pays really good. And, I mean, this is every deadbeat, bato, jailbird you can think of, like, just rap. There was even white dudes dressed up like bathos. It was crazy. It looked like a costume party, homes. It was so crazy to me. And in this time, you know, people didn't emulate that that dress code back then. If you weren't that, there was a serious consequence uh, uh, that would come from impersonating that. You know, you just didn't do it. But anyhow, as I'm walking up, the side of the building has it's mirror glass, you know, where they can see out, but you can't see and it just looks like a mirror. So I'm walking and this little this little chick starts flagging me down. She's got a clipboard and she's like, come here, come here. And homeboy pushing, go, go, choose, go. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I told the lady, I go, look, I just got here. You know what I mean? Whatever's going on, I just got here. Cause I'm still thinking there's something up. Something's not right. She says, nope, come with me. Grabs me by my shirt, takes me in here, starts taking photographs, sign your name right here. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm kind of just getting shoved through the situation. I'm like, what the hell? And then I realized later on, well, she tells me, she says, here's a phone number. We're going to call you, um, in three days and tell you what the shoot schedule is and where the location is. And I didn't know that language at that time. I'm like, I'm thinking shoot, bro. Like, I don't know what's happening when you're talking like that. So I just take the piece of paper and uh, dude comes and goes, Oh, perfect. And he pointed at me and she said, you like him. And she said, put, put like a star by the name or whatever. So like, I, I did good, you know, and I didn't know what I did good for, but I did good. So I go home and Amber's like, what happened? you get the job or what? And I was like, I think I did. And uh, she said, what is it? I said, I don't know. 
you know, it's like, I still didn't really fully know what was going on. Something about, a, it was just, you know, I knew it was casting for us. There was street casting for this film, but I didn't fully understand what was about to happen to me. So anyways, I show up, uh, three days later, I get the call. They show me, they tell me where to go. And it's the, uh, it's the women's penitentiary on Arch Road in Stockton off of 99 freeway. And I was aware of where that was. So I drive out there early in the morning and they told me wear a white t-shirt and, and, uh, and blue jeans. And I look down, I'm wearing a white t-shirt and blue jeans. I'm like, cool, I'm ready to go. So I roll out there and, uh, there's like, I'm talking like 2000 people there. There's so many people and there's things like they're doing things. There's white tents set up. There was a catering, uh, stationed area. And there's all these vatos there that I'd known from, like I said, from the streets and like, Oh, right, you got on too. That's cool. And, you know, there was white dudes, prison white dudes and Pintero Negros and, and just like it, all all the, the whole, it was like basically taking a snapshot of prison and downloading it to the situation. And that's really what it was because I don't understand now I'm, I'm fluent with this. I don't think the casting agency knew that they were really casting like the real deal, Holmes. Like there was some dangerous dudes on that yard, you know? And anyway, so... I sit down at this catering truck that morning. I thought it was a taco truck. So I'm waiting for everybody to get in line and go up there. I'm like, I'll take a burrito, carne asada con todo. And they're like, do you want like kale with your da-da-da and like green juice? Or, and I'm like, what? what the fuck? So I'm still very hood, homes, and I'm not really, you know, educated to know what's going on. So I get weirded out and I just go sit down. There's this little toy dog sitting on the bench that I was sitting on. And I love animals. Anyone knows me can tell you that. I love animals and they love me. Homes. So I'm petting this little vato and he's like making friends with him, right? He likes me. And you know, when someone's staring at you and they're like burning a hole and you feel it, I felt that and I turn around and there's this little dude like this tall homes and he's just, he's like mad dogging me. And I'm like, what the hell? And he had a really crazy looking eyes and I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, that's my dog, you know? And, uh, I was like, well, my bad homes here, here. He's a cool dude. I like him. It's a cool little vato here. So he takes the little chihuahua dog and he like pouts off. I'm like, damn, whatever, man. And uh, this other vato comes up to me after that, this, this other dude. And he kind of pats me on the back. He goes, don't take it personal. That dude's an asshole. He goes, hey, my name's John. I shake his hand. What's up, Chuko, man? Uh, what, what had happened there is... This film was Rob Schneider's, the comedian. It was his directorial debut. Um, so he was making this film called Big Stan. And they had hired all these, you know, uh, background dudes from the streets to stand in to do some of the shooting. So the little dude with the dog, that was Rob Schneider. You know, I had his dog, man. And he thought, you know, like, I'm like the help, you know? So he's like, yeah. you know, he pulled a full Hollywood on me, Holmes. And I was like, whatever. But the dude who came in like patting on back, that's his carnal. That's his brother, John Snyder, who is an amazing dude. I love John, and he's my friend to this day. So he ends up sitting with me, and we hang out for a minute. And and he's like, uh, "Man, you got a really good look, you know." And uh, come with me. So he like puts me attached to. I don't know if you know who this is, Peter Mark Vasquez. Do you know who that is? Uh, not familiar. Blood in, blood out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Colors. Who was he in that? Uh, Chivo. Okay. So he he uh, 
he meets me to this dude. And I knew who he was from sight. So I was like, whoa, that's the Vato from Colors. Like, what the hell? So I'm kind of tripped out. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Um, but I was all, I was too ignorant in the ways of the world to be like, um, I never had that like starstruck thing. It was more like, oh, I know that Vato. And, and it was, so we made friends and it was comfortable. So me and Pete end up making good friends and they attached me to his character. And so now all of a sudden I'm not just this background dude. It's like, I'm in every scene and you know, they're like using my kid's car seat to shoot this scene for it, a lot of things happened. And there was a lot of celebrities on that uh, shoot who I ended up making friends because they kept pulling, John kept pushing me. In. He just liked me, huh? So he kept putting me in the inner circle and there was all, they bumped my pay up, I think. And, and uh, all these rad things were happening. And I was like, man, this is crazy. And uh, John kept telling me and Pete kept telling me, you could work Holmes. You need to move to LA uh, and get an agent. You could work. And I didn't even understand what they were saying. I was like, move to LA. Are you out of your mind? You know what I mean? I'm from Northern California. That's like a death wish. Um, you know, like on that shoot, I don't, do you know who little Rob the rapper is? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. There's this vato named Little Rob, right? He's from San Diego. Really, really nice dude. He's my friend, sweetheart dude. Well, he at the time was at the height of his music career. So he was doing a cameo in the film and his agent had booked him this gig. So he gets flown in and they use him in his first scene. And it's like a yard scene where we're all out there. And uh, like I was trying to describe before, like, it wasn't like a movie set. This was like the real deal. Like, you know, the whites were there, the blacks here, Hispanics here, and it was functioning like a real prison yard, you know? Uh, a lot of the same, a lot of the same protocol was being like, you know, used right there on the yard. They had caught word that this, this dude, this Southern Hispanic dude, Little Rob, who everybody knew who he was, was coming there. And they actually, they, they were, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to do something to him. Um, and because I was really in with the, the, with the, uh, you know, the crew, the casting crew and with the, with the actors and stuff, I, people kind of were like, this dude has juice, you know? And, and I, so I, I was holding a position on that yard again, it felt like, and, uh, dudes also knew who I was from the streets. So I had respect from that. Well, anyways, I'm hearing this conversation about Rob and they're, they're talking about plugging him on for reals. And I'm like, oh my God, this poor dude. So I see him on the yard and he does his thing and he's like, I could see it in his face, Holmes. I could smell fear because I was bred to, to uh, foresee these things, elements in a man. I could see it. And I could see how scared this guy was. And I, at that point in my life, um, you know, I could, uh, I don't know. I could, I could understand like how he was feeling. I was like, man, that's gotcha. That sucks. Well, anyways, after he does that scene, I'm going to the lunch truck and Pete comes and grabs me and goes, Hey Holmes, you, you got to come here. I need you to do me a favor. Right. And we're friends at this point. So I go, yeah, all right, cool. I go with him and I go into his trailer and the little Rob dude's in there and he's scared. He's like white homes. He ain't even brown no more. This is white. And he's like, Hey man, these dudes are going to do something to me. I, I need your help. Like, what should I do? And I was just, I was very honest with him. I said, he, he was trying to tell me I'm not a gang member. This is, you know, um, this is my character. This is my, I'm an, I'm an entertainer. And at that point I, I, I knew what he was saying, but I was still too gangster to really be like um, fully understanding what he's saying. So anyways, 
I told him this. I said, look, I don't know if you know where you're at, but you're in Stockton, California. It's very dangerous here, Holmes. And for you to come from south up to here, that's like death wish. You need to get on an airplane and get the hell out of here as soon as you can. And uh, he's like, would you walk outside with me so that I can walk, you know, to get to safe spots so wherever you can call or whatever. And I was like, man, that's not good for me, right? Uh, but I was like, as a human being, I was already in this weird transition where I was like starting to um, be able to see above that veil of like ignorance and hatred and this stuff. And I just seen him as a person. And I was like, I'll do that for you, Holmes. He said, I swear to you, if you ever come to LA, I will treat you like King, bro. I will, I will return this favor to you and I'll never forget you. And I was like, don't worry, Holmes. You'll never have to pay that debt because I ain't never go to LA. I said, look what happened. You came here. You know, you damn crazy. So we shake hands and I get him the safe ground and he leaves. He disappears. Well, anyways, uh, on that movie set, there's this dude named Big Phil. And I don't know if you remember Big no Phil. No shit. Yeah. So Big Phil all of a sudden starts, I see him out of the corner of my eye like every day. He's this chunky laughing dude. He's awesome, right? Tatted yeah. down. He's got, you know, he's kind of vato-ish. So I'm like, oh, this dude's tight. Well, I started putting on temporary tattoos on the actors. And he was like, hey, you get down, Holmes. You know what I mean? He was like, you tattoo? And I was like, yeah. He said, you have a portfolio? And I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, no, nah, I don't use those, Holmes. I just, I use guitar string and I, I make my own ink. And he's like, yeah, 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 right on. He knows, you know, this dude's way hood. So he says, do you have any photographs of your tattoos? And I go, uh... Yeah, I think I got some, you know, and I was I was thinking of these like family portraits that we had taken in the backyard where everybody has their shirts off and got our neighborhood on us and all these things. So I bring him some of that and he's like, oh, man, yeah. Hell yeah, Holmes. He's like, that's the real deal. He goes, I'll tell you what, man, what are you doing after this thing wraps? You know, like, what do you do for a living? And um, I was honest with him. I go, this this is it, Holmes. I'm, this is a lily pad that I'm trying to make something out of it because I have nothing else after this. He said, I'll tell you what, homie why don't you come to work for me at um, Into Skin Tattoo in Stockton after this wraps? And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And uh, I don't think he took me serious all the way. And I don't think I took him serious all the way, but we had said that to each other. So that thing, whole thing wraps, the circus leaves town and you go back, you know, Alice in Wonderland. I'm, I'm back, bro. I'm back to just kind of like Cinderella sitting on the curb. I got no money again. I'm like, damn, that was a cool experience, but now what? And I had Big Phil's number, so I call him and I said, hey, and I have no idea how the inner workings of a tattoo shop or, or you know, the lineup. Back then it was, you know, the walk-in thing where it's like, you go, I go, you go. All, I didn't know any of these any of these things. So I call him, I go, hey, I'm coming down home to the tattoo shop. And he's kind of like, hey, Chuko, yeah, yeah, man. But, you know, he has, he has his guys already been working for him for years. And he's not really, you know what it's like, Holmes, in those days, it's like, you don't just shove some dude in there, you know? It's like, those guys were going to be upset. And so I didn't give him the option. I just hung up the phone and I showed up. And uh, I had a little uh, lunch pail box with my with my tattoo rig in there, you know, and my little inks. And uh, he just really didn't know what to do, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm standing there in front of him. So he's like all right, let's give it a try, you know? And all the guys are like, whoa, who's this Fatu and what the hell's going on? So the next dude who walked through that door was this old man and he was a veteran and he wanted to cover up this shark tattoo he probably got from Sailor Jerry or something. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll do it right now. Took this guy in the back room and I just started blasting on him. And everybody in that shop was like, what is going on? And I took the next guy and the next guy. I don't think those guys tattooed that day. You know, I just sat there and everybody came to the door, Holmes. That was Chuko's plan. I didn't know any better. I'm just like, this is great, Holmes. I'm just, I mean, I think I made 300, 360 bucks that day and I was blown away. I was like, whoa, you know, I made some, some money this day. So that's how I started tattooing. And I just kept coming in and Phil would like, he groomed me slowly, you know, respectfully. And I love him for that. He was, he was gentle with me, Holmes. He wasn't like, hey, you can't do that, you know, and. The only thing he told me was once he said, you know, maybe don't wear the, you know, the banyo to work or, you know, like you're scaring people type thing, you know, like there's soccer moms in here. This is like a public place. And so he took me to the mall once and he got me like Adidas, I think, and some shirt, some jeans. And I remember I came home and Amber was like, what the hell are you wearing? You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I took that. She's like, you like that? I was like, no. So I took that stuff off and I just, I told homeboy, this is how it is. I can't, you know, it's how I get down. Man, that is fucking incredible story. Holy shit. Yeah. So are you in the yeah. movie? Like if we watch that movie, you're in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's it, what's it called yeah. again? Big Stan. Big Stan. I'm going to watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, Big Phil. He still reaches out sometimes. He was a good dude. Was Jeff yep. Pickens there? Oh yeah, love Jeff. I love Pickens yeah. to death. Um, I saw Pickens at the Fresno Tattoo Convention maybe ten years ago, and that was the last time I seen him. Maybe more, maybe twelve years now. Um, but I love Jeff. Jeff. Jeff was like, he was such a phenomenal tattooer, especially in his time. Like that dude was the only guy that even today with all the exposure I've had to professional tattooing and all the amazing talent that I've witnessed, Jeff Pickens to this day, I'm like, that dude gets down homes. And he had his own style back then when that was rough to carve your way into that, you know, it was still like the, it was still like, I don't know. It was like our, our lifetime, yours and I, it was like our, the, it was like the adolescence of tattooing in our lifetime. We're still like figuring it out, you know, like, you know, I, it wasn't, I was nowhere, even in the same lifetime or realm of like deciding what my style was or what I was trying to learn uh, American traditional tattooing at that time and Japanese and everything, because they were saying I couldn't give these Vato tats away at that time. People weren't getting them. So they wanted the Koi sleeve. They wanted, you know, kanjis and these things that I had no, I had no information about. I had to learn all that. So I spent the first eight years of my professional career learning how to tattoo Japanese American influenced Japanese tattooing. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I retraced uh, every Sailor Jerry big book available, and and I learned, you know, how to properly design an eagle or a panther head. You know, um, and Rye Greg, you know, he was a big influence on me at that time. You know, he he kind of he was like, "There's no real vatos in the industry." He's like. Um, but this is the closest thing. And he showed me this magazine or whatever and had Freddie Corbin and Freddie Negretti in it and Jack Rudy. And I looked at their tattoos and I was like, it's yeah. I'm like, that's pretty Vatuish. And he was showing me kind of like um, good time Charlie's place. And, uh, but I was still like, like I said, I had to make money to feed my family. So at that time I didn't really have the luxury of exploring or expressing my own art. It was more like, um, 
I was a walk-in dude, you know, I was just another guy on the link. Yeah. So when you showed up there did, and you had your little lunchbox with your machines in it, was that, those were handmade machines? Like, uh, yeah. 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 And then you were just drawing everything on. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, he didn't have a stencil machine either. So it was like, you know, you had to hand stencil it if you could. I remember and working I with Pickens and he was still hands, or he was hand stenciling everything. Instead of using the Thermofax, he would always draw on the, on the Thermofax paper to make uh -huh. a stencil. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Man. Hang on one second, Jason. Hold yeah. on. Yeah. Right. Man, so who have some of your biggest influences been? And uh like Kathleen? Well, how about who who were three of the biggest influences in your life? They could be they could be anyone, someone that you know, someone that you just look up to and admire. Uh, someone that's some people that have influenced your life um off the top um for 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 life it'll always be number one spot that that's uh andre becerra that's uh my primo my cousin he's a dude that raised me i look at him more as a father figure than anything else um but right away that's like off top that's a lifetime respect reserved for that for that dude man um and then uh you know I'd have to say Amber <laughs> right away, you know, yeah. uh, she inspires me, uh, as a person because I get to watch her living her life and figuring out things and the integrity that she, you know, holds while like just taking on life's ups and downs, you know, and, and she's such a, you know, they say opposites attract and that is so true in our case, because when this, you know, Amber, I, I think I kissed her the first time when she was 12 years old, you know, we're kids, kids homes, literally. So there's this little kid that's happy, go lucky girl. And I never, I didn't know anybody like that in my world. Everybody was like, you hid your feelings and you were hard homes and you kept your mouth shut and you endured in silence, anything that was, you know, uh, uncomfortable or, or, you know, challenging and so amber definitely is a huge role uh, role model to me that's beautiful yeah. um let's see so i noticed that you uh you've got a crazy following on instagram and i noticed that you just follow amber and uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I, I'm so i you know, social media, Instagram is such a, a tool for us as tattooers to be able to get our work out there and to get clientele. Yeah. And um, like I said earlier, I, I really admire the way that you're using it uh, to spread a bigger message, you know? And I was wondering if the reason that you uh, decided to just to not follow anybody um, is for some peace of mind, for some clarity and simple simplicity in your life so that that distraction isn't there um you're real close to the truth for sure what happened was uh because when i first got instagram i didn't even know how to run it you know i had my daughter run it um until she left for the military and then she was you know it's basically like well here you go pops you know you're gonna have to figure it out so <clears throat> I started Instagram like everybody else and wants to grow into what it is now. And 
I, I think at one point I probably was following 3000 people and I would just do that because the guy who taught me Andy Campo and my good homeboy, the one, he's the one that taught me really how to interact with Instagram on that platform, that social media platform. So he was like, if they follow you homes, then you follow them back. That's how it works. Right. So I would do that. I would try and do that, you know, and be respectful and da da da. And when I got down to LA and the career was really starting to blossom and I was getting, you know, like 10,000 now 20,000, it was like getting out of control. Right. And, and, uh, what happened was there was this company, um, I can't remember the name, but it, it, you'll, you can probably know what I'm talking about. It was a green, green circle or green dot company. Oh, the, uh, with the, the stuff in the blood, the DNA. Yes. Thing? Yeah. Okay. So that happened while I was in LA and the way that that happened was Tim, uh, you know, everybody knows Tim and I are bros for life. We're, we're really close friends. And he told me, this is an investment. You should, in, you should do this. I've invested in it and it could help us in the future. You're not going to get paid any money up front. It might take 10 years, but you could, you know, if this thing blows up in 10 to 20 years, you could buy out and you could make some money. So he said, just at least have lunch with this dude. So I went and had lunch with that guy. And, uh, I just told him he did this whole spiel homes and we're at this restaurant, Ruta Bagores and, 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 uh, Fullerton. And I said, look, I don't even care about all that. My homeboy says that this is a good move and that you're, you're stand up dude. And I said, so I'm going to sign because there's a contract, right? We had to sign this contract. I said, I'm going to sign this contract, Holmes, based on that, because I love and respect him and I trust him. And I said, but I want you to know that, you know, well, I didn't even read all this stuff that's on this paper, but whatever's on this paper, I hope that it's on the up and up because I know your name. I know who you are, you know, and I'm signing this. So he was like, yeah, man, it's good. You know, so I signed it. And then I went about my life and. And when all that crazy stuff happened, people hated our guts. We were sellouts. We were this or that. All the tattoo community, I'm talking like, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Chris Garber and I'm good friends with, with all these uh, Todd Noble and, 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 and all these big Scott Sylvia, all these, these are dudes that I ended up making friends with through the art of tattooing, but in the bubble of tattooing, these are big names. Huh? These are like tattoo celebrities for sure. And we're all a part of this thing. Valerie Vargas, my homegirl out there, Stuart, her husband, you know, like these are all my friends and everybody kind of like, because it was like a domino effect. I, I think where one guy signed and you know, that's your brother and he's a solid dude. So you go with it. And it turned out, and, and this is the facts of it. When I look at it now, it's just this shitty company and this dude who I don't think he was set out to hurt anybody or anything, but he damn sure didn't have his stuff in order homes. Like the way they launched that, was like the worst. I mean, come on, homie, it was terrible. And even us, the people who were involved here were like, wait, hold on, what the hell? I was <laughs> doing something totally different when it dropped. And Tim calls me on my phone person and says, Chuko, look at your Instagram. He's freaking out. Homes. Tim's tripping. And he's like, what the hell? And I'm like, what is it? And uh, I look at my thing and I couldn't even get to my Instagram because I had texts from all the homeboys, Todd, everybody's like, Chuko, Chuko, you know, we're talking to each other and they put me in this group chat and I was like, what the hell? So everybody's freaking out. And there's, there was this, there was this very, let me say it in the politest way. There was this unbecoming opportunity for a lot of people 
to like tear down somebody that um, had, you know, established themselves or maybe they felt didn't deserve the credibility or the career that they had worked for on. So I saw a lot of people all across the board just descend on this small group of tattooers who I knew to be good people, you know, scratch tattooing homes. I would stand in the alley with a lot of these dudes based on who they are. You know what I mean? And that's the type of person I am. I won't even kick it with you, Holmes. If you're if you're whack or you're into some weird stuff or you're not you're not solid in some some level, you know, I have a whole other side of my life who, you know, I don't kick it with people like that. I'm not gonna associate with you. So for me to call you friend, um it's it's something that, you know, it's it's a it's honorable to me. So anyways, my friends are getting attacked. I'm getting attacked. No, I didn't get too much attacked. You know, I think one dude said um, something. I forgot the term and Todd kept trying to send it to me and we never got it because I was like, well, tell me what dude, I don't want to know what dude said about me Holmes. And I'll deal with that dude. I'll go to his house and I'll make sure it's right. And uh, we never got that dude's name. And I feel bad because there were some young tattooers that people did show me screenshots of stuff and I called them out on it at conventions. I took them in the bathroom or whatever I did. And I feel terrible that I made them uncomfortable in that moment. And, uh, you know, I'd have to say that that just speaks to like who I am. I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be, you know, we're talking about Instagram. Instagram to me is this Holmes. The reason why I follow one person is because I know no matter what happens in my life, that woman, <laughs> that girl <laughs> she ain't gonna switch Holmes I've already proved it you know what I mean we've been to trial we've done it we just got out of jail together last year you know what I'm saying like that's that's my ride and I all day now everybody else in the world I'm not saying that you're not solid or I don't trust you or da, da, da. I'm just saying that I don't have I don't have the time or the energy or the interest to to figure that out or to, um, and it's, it's, I am, a, I am interested in other people's tattooing. It's not like a, I didn't do that to be like, Oh, I don't care about you guys. It's not that I do care. And I, I try to, because now that I don't follow anybody, I have to physically or manually go find you guys on there and look at what you're doing. I try and talk to you sometimes, you know, I try, I try to talk to you. Right. Yeah. I, I've commented on your thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, you're my friend and I love your tattooing. So sometimes when I'm, when I have a little downtime, I will I'll go on a little mission homes and I'll start checking in on my homeboys and I'll say, Hey man, sick tat or whatever I can say. Um, so it's not that, you know, it's not that I'm like trying to be uh, alienated or ostracized on my own thing, but it helped a lot when that green circle thing happened because I saw the true colors of so many tattooers and I was like, you know, fair, fair, fair play, bro. Like, you know, you said what you said and I seen it. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't come from the background that many tattooers come from, which is, you know, maybe a different experience. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying like, I come from the neighborhood where that don't fly, you know? And then, so, and I, I have, I have worked very hard at being a forgiving person. And I believe that I am a forgiving person and I do forgive. I don't even care, but I do forgive anybody who said anything or did anything because it's honestly not that big of a deal, Holmes. And, yeah. uh, you were saying you did it with some people from your past and that those bridges are strong as steel now that i mean that's fucking awesome i heard a great quote uh resentment is like piss in your pants everybody can see it but only you can feel it 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a powerful, powerful piece of knowledge. And I know that now. So. And I spent so much of my life being resentful and passive aggressive. And I've, yeah. I, I burned some bridges that I, I would love to be able to fix and that I've, I've tried as much as I can. And, you know, that that's not up to me anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I look at, I look at some of the people that only follow or that don't follow anybody. And I'm like, man, that must make things so simple. Cause I, I think yeah. uh, the phone in general takes up so much of our life now where it can, and we really have to exercise some self-control and discipline to be able to have a healthy relationship with that fucking thing. I mean, I watched, uh, I watched on the interweb last night, uh, and this 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 interview was um, it was about like uh, AI, and that might sound funny in the ears coming from about to like me, but I just stumbled across it, and uh, the guy that was interviewing him, I know who he is, and I was like, oh, I want to see what he says. And about two and a half hours into that thing, I was like, Whoa, dang, Holmes, like. Uh, where's up and where's down, you know, like so crazy. And a lot of what got said in there, I'd have to, you know, look at it and examine it for myself to see whether or not I, I believe in that or whether I even choose to. Cause a lot of, a lot of what we, I'll tell you the truth. I can't even use that word. A lot of everything that we experience in our life in factuality is just a mirrored reflection of the things that we choose to focus on and the way that we feel about those things that we focus on. So if you're afraid of something, the strongest thing you can do is go and do that thing until you're no longer afraid of it, because that situation will continually pop up in your life. If you, if you have, like you're just talking about, and I've experienced for many years in my life where you have animosity towards someone and you're like living this silent war, that dude don't give a damn, bro. He's, he's at a party. And you're at your house. And when I get this motherfucker, hey, homie, and I swear to God, bro, and any, you know, you're doing all these things, but what you don't realize is he's never really going to feel it. And if you really felt that way, get in your car, drive to his house and do it. Cause that's the way I am. Um, but if you're not going to do that, save yourself the hassle and, 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 and be protective of your own life enough to say, if I can work hard enough to not let my emotions go wild, against this thing, I either fear or I hate, I'm going to be doing myself a huge service because those things are no longer going to show up. They just dissipate. All of a sudden, if you can master that technique or even just work at it, I noticed in my own life that those types of situations just start to erode. And even when something big happens, like what happened to me, there's two choices. I could focus on it. And this situation could be dreadful and super harsh or I can turn my focus to something that I do want to happen or that I am interested or is beneficial. And those other things just, they just dissolve back to nothingness where they came from, bro. And so that's an important thing is, is, is being wise enough to know that in your own life, oh. you know? Do you think that that's something that comes with age? Uh... I think that it doesn't come with age. I think it can come with age. And, and I think that you're, you're right in saying that because I think traditionally, especially in the uh, existence that we're experiencing now that, yeah, people live a whole lifetime and they accumulate enough wisdom to say, oh, wow. But I also believe that um, that's something that comes with the sharing of knowledge. So, you know, like um, my wife and I just recently co-authored and co-illustrated a children's book 
James. And people are like, yeah, James. They're like, why did you do that? You know, or what is that about? And it basically, um, because of the, the, the thing, the virus or whatever, we couldn't go see him. And, and he, I don't want him to get on an airplane to come see me. So I haven't seen my grandson uh, for over a year. He just had a second birthday. That's painful to us. So during the holiday season, we were writing like a love letter to our grandson, you know, and, and we're painting little pictures for him. And uh, we both looked at each other and were like, we should make a book, you know, and give it to him. And so we did that. And then we did that part of it. And we looked at each other and like reading what we had written. And we're like, man, that's deep. Holmes. That's powerful stuff. Like, this is what you know, we, we want to share with our children and our grandchildren so that it infuses into the bloodline and that this wisdom propels the upcoming generations into like happiness, peace. And, and, and like, you know, at least gives them the platform that the options there, you know, the wisdom and the knowledge is there. So I think that sharing information, uh, especially true information or, uh, helpful information, that's like, it's big, man. I think yeah. it's responsibility of all of ours. Totally. I've, I've, I've been using this uh, analogy. I came up with this idea over the past couple of years that our, our lives are kind of like, our bodies are like these ships that we're sailing through existence on. And this existence is like this grand ocean and we have to find our way. And um, if we're taught how to sail those ships, if we're taught how to sail our ships, then we can know how to navigate. We can know how to handle the storms. We can know how to set a goal and get there. But if we're not, like if, if we have a, a, a childhood where we're not taught these things, then it can be really hard to figure out how to make it through the storms and, and how to get anywhere that you want to go. And you might not even know that you could get somewhere. And I totally. think that, uh, you know, that, that sharing of knowledge, that passing on of understanding and what we've learned is so important in helping other people realize that these things are possible. You know, you didn't come from, you came from a, a really rough start and you've become this really thoughtful and uh, powerful figure. And I, it's the same for me. I, I didn't have a good foundation and it's taken a lot of work to be able to get to this place where I can have some clarity and now I want to share. And that was one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you because I feel like you are on the same page with that. I appreciate you reaching out, Jason. Yeah, I do. Man. And uh, I All right, I got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You go. Go, go ahead. I got a couple more questions if uh, yeah. I don't want to take up all your time. Um, are you... Are you a schedule? So it seems like you're pretty productive. Are you a schedule oriented? Do you set yourself a schedule to follow? Like, do you keep office hours to be able to, to make the work that you do? Or is that kind of sporadic and you do it when you can? Um, I, I, I have a strong work ethic. Um, but, but for me personally, the most effective uh, balance of that, you know, is, is, proven for me to be this I work at the things that I'm the most passionate about at the moment because I it's like this it's like if you go and attempt to do something and you have no interest into it it's going to show you know and it's it's you're going to feel that because there's no energy in that balloon it's just like going through the motion so say I had some tasks that I had to do in the old days, I would just go through it and be like, oh, and you would tell, I would look at it and be like, that's not very well. It's not very well spoken or well done or 
if it was artistically based, it wasn't produced very well. And I just smucked it out because it was a timeline or whatever. I don't do that anymore. Now it's like, I don't take every opportunity that comes to me anymore. You know, like there's, there's people that might be upset. They might be like, I offered that guy a podcast, you know, and uh, I never heard back from him or he said no, or whatever the thing is, but uh, you know, you, you and I having this conversation is something that I'm interested in. There's things that I want to say. And I feel like, you know, I just, I think the last interview I did, which I don't really do those very often anymore. Cause I just, I don't want to tell the same story a thousand times to a different face. You dig what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like, and I get it. I know that, you know, everybody's excited and very interested in, in Chicanos and in the history and the culture. And I, you know, I, I, I have deep rooted love and respect for my culture, obviously, but like the conversation we're having right now to me is it's, it's fresh and it's new and it's um, it's current, it's current homes and uh, it's real. And, uh, you know, I didn't even look at, um, I didn't even look to really see if there was a list of questions you were going to ask me. I don't prep for these things because I don't want to be that guy that's like reading off of a, you know, it's, it's like, um, I, I'm not trying to be anything other than what I am. Holmes, I can't do anything else. Right. You totally. Know? So, yeah. So if I, if I came on here and I made a complete idiot myself, I'm not going to be all bummed out on that because I'm like, you know what? I was real with, with myself. And, and if I blew it, then I can look at that and I can learn from that next time. But uh, there's, so there's no failure. And for me to be efficient in my life, it's like, there's things that I want to get done. And those things are things that I'm really passionate about. So I'm not like 10 o'clock workout, you know, 1030, you're on the phone, zoom with this other company or this other guys that are trying to get you to do brush sets for the iPad or whatever they are. All these things are coming in. Right. I'm, uh, I know people who've worked with me might get frustrated because they're like, what the, we're offering this dude all this crazy stuff. And he just won't, you know, he just won't. And it's because I, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm not here Holmes to do anything other than just this. I want to be the, the most truest, purest version of myself and whatever that is, uh, that's between me and myself. You know what I mean? So it's like, I owe myself. Uh, to be honest with my scheduling, like, yes, I'm going to work out five days a week. I know that's going down, but I might do it at 12 o'clock at night tonight. So you it's never the same time. All the, you, you, But you make no. sure that you get it in five times a week. Yes. Yeah. I don't I don't go and draw at certain times of the day. I might wake up in the middle of the night. And uh, if Amber's not up or she's not watching the Thubo or TV or something and I can't speak with her, I'd be like, all right, it's on, Holmes. I'll go up to the office in my art room and I'll get busy. And, um, or it could be, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I do what I do when I feel it because I know that that's like the most most time for me to express myself in any given way, whether it's a workout, uh, or it's an art, art based project that I'm working on, you know, or even sometimes conversations like maybe we were scheduled this conversation in, uh, a week ago or something when I was going through something or I had too much in my peripheral view and I couldn't really be here with you um so it's important you know for me to like say no to these other guys who offering the same opportunity but maybe want a different conversation and uh you know my heart just isn't in it I don't want to waste that guy's time with the same old dragged out story you know yeah I think uh you know I, I especially in today's age and with with it seems like people are so uh 
concerned. And I don't think it's necessarily a new thing. It's just that we see it more with, with the interwebs um, yeah. that we all give ourselves these identities. Like I'm a Chicano, I'm a tattooer. I yeah. am, I am this, I'm woke, or I believe yeah. this. And, yeah. and we lock ourselves into this and we're so much more than those identities. We're so much more than what we do. Um, or what we think in the moment we're evolving creatures we're and i think if we're adaptable and and willing to uh change with with the times and with new understanding we're we're more powerful because of that totally you know and, and the other thing is um you know speaking about the uh the insta web and the and the instagram it, it's like you know uh i'm off topic but i'm running back to a previous question that just it's I just feel like there's so many of those accounts out there, homes, and so many people who are uh, portraying something that they don't really feel in their core. It's like, like you said, they built this persona and I don't want to be one of those people. And there was a time when, before I made that decision to swipe all the followers and just be straight, you know, like I come on to the web when I do, because I love the tattoo I did and I want, I want to put it up there or uh, you know, there's somebody in the family who, uh, you know, needs financial help. So I'll do a t-shirt run, you know, and, and that we use that for that and, and, and things like that, but it's necessity. But, uh, I, I just, uh, hobby, my good friend, Javier de Luna, my brother, this is my, my little, my little bro here. He just recently did the Chugo trick where he, he went all the way down to one follower. He's following Natasha, his, his woman. And, um, those two are awesome people. She's actually learning a tattoo right now, which I'm very excited about. Uh, cause that girl's got wheels home. She's going to go. And, um, but you know, he was like, I can't do it anymore. He called me and he's like, what do you think? And I said, I think I, I support you homes. You know, you should do it because when I did that, uh, there was people at the tat shop and even at the house were like, what are you doing? You're going to destroy your entire career, you know? And they were like freaked out legitimately Chooks, Don't do this. And, uh, even Amber for a second was like, babe, don't do what are you talking about and i was laughing because i don't care you know and there's freedom in that you know and uh i don't care i'm not trying to impress no disrespect but i'm not trying to impress everybody you all and I, i'm living for me homes and what i've driven to do and and uh i'm i've always been this way homes i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and i'll take the repercussions whether they benefit me or they don't and i won't sob about it i won't say oh dang it you know, I could have had more followers. Listen, if you want to follow me, Holmes, if you find, if you find uh, value in anything that I'm doing on this little box that we're all carrying around, then by all means, man, uh, my brotherhood is extended to you. Come on, Kyle, and you're, I'm with you, Holmes. I will interact with you when I can. I do. People can vouch for me. I do write back to DMs to uh, people. They write me so much beautiful stuff that you know I have a heart. You know what I'm saying? And and, and I'm, even though I'm busy guy. I will stop sometimes and just flick through there and boom, what's up homeboy. I just want to see how your day was going. People freak out, you know, they're like, Whoa, you know, and, and it's, it's like that. If I could reach everybody, I would, if I could tattoo the world, I would. But the reality of it is this, I'm a father and I'm a husband and I'm a provider before any of this stuff. So whatever I share with you all on the interwebs homes, uh, that's me doing my best to, to, you know, contribute to tattooing the modern tattooing game we're all playing now, which I don't like playing. I just like putting on badass blackout zones and watching my client be like, yeah, that's Chingon or that's Bad Chooks. 
you know, it's cool that if other people like it, but really that's between me and that cat, right? Like, hey, totally. homies, do you like it? And he's like, I'm into it. I'm like, orale, done. Man, I was just talking about that with somebody like when we used to tattoo and you take a photo with a camera and that person would take the tattoo, go out into the world and you wouldn't see it. And then you get your film back and you'd see it and yeah. be like, oh, that's cool. Or I could have done yeah. this better. Man, it's all changed so much now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, there's there's instant uh, gratification or, or you know, sometimes it goes the other way, but everything's so instant, man. And yeah. I'm such an old school dude that uh, I don't think a lot of people understand. Like, I'm a homes. <laughs> I'm struggling to stay with everybody and be like relevant. Yeah, it's not in me to be this. I'm doing this because I do care about the people who patronize my business and who do pay attention to my tattoo career because that means a lot to me, you know, like it really does. My, my clients, uh, the people who, you know, there's people who will even write a comment and I respect and I, I, I admire that because you stopped your day and you wrote, you said something to me, Holmes, you know, and I don't always have the time to, to say something back, but I promise me, I mean, I promise you, Holmes, that I do see it and I do feel it and I feel good about it um, and I appreciate it. But I just think that um, in general, man, I, I, I don't know. There's some things that won't ever change with me. And one of them, I think, is that I'm going to just try and be where I'm at and be doing what I'm doing and uh, share what I can when I can and, and help wherever I can. You know what I'm saying? But it's not a popularity thing. I don't care enough to... Uh, when they say things about, you know, some kind of like a uh, nice quote about my tattooing, I, I'm, I'm honored, man. I'm humble. And I feel like that's, that's, I'm stoked. I'm really stoked, man, that people feel that way. And, and so uh, I'm on a different level when it comes to the IG homes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, so with all the stuff that you've learned and kind of your awakening and, and, becoming the person you've become how do you handle difficulties when they arise um you know whether it's in tattooing or personal life it's like kind of like along the same vein that i've been describing it's it's that before you know immediately if something doesn't go your way uh we're ingrained to be like damn it and if this guy would have or Oh yeah, it's easy for you to say you got da, da, da. there's all these like transferring of responsibility, right? And I've learned, man, that anything that crosses my path in life is either meant to help me grow, help me realize, or help me understand something that I either need to be uh learning or something I need to be letting go of. And so when something comes now, like we we're talking about, I got I got a pretty rough one come through last last Christmas. I just learned that now take it so serious, man. Don't take it so personal. And it is hard to cross over that, that mountain because our paradigms are thick, Holmes. And when you start punching at that wall, I hope you, I hope you're ready for the ride because there's a flood on the other side that's waiting to come your way. And when, you know, enlightenment in general, uh, it's not like Instagram where it's like, dee, 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 I'm enlightened, bro. I'm woke. It's not like that. You know, the reality of enlightenment is a, it's a lifelong journey. And it, it goes like this, like all things, you know, there's seasons. And uh, do you have any kind of spiritual aspect to your life? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'd said that I was raised diehard Catholic. Uh, I was an altar boy, Holmes. I held a, I held the beadlet for the, for the, for the, for the pastor, you know what I'm saying? And uh, 
I did Premier Cumion, First Holy Communion, you know, all these things. Um, my my Hefita was a catechism teacher, you know, so it was like a Sunday school teacher, my mom. Uh, and I grew up in the Catholic faith. Then what happened was, you know, when I started to uh, go through this transition, I went uh, to a Catholic priest. And, and I, well, the nun was at the front desk. I said, Hey, can I speak to the, to the father? She said, do you have an appointment? And I'm all tatted up. Right. And she's like, do you have an appointment? I said, no, I don't. And this isn't in my hometown. This was, I was working cable construction in, uh, I think it was in Benicia, California. So I walk into this church on my lunch break. Cause I had this questions bugging me, you know, at this time it was the church was really fighting the uh, acceptance of homosexuals in marriage and all these things. So just to give you like a footnote of what, what era this is in. So I walk in and I ask the lady, she's like trying to like dissuade me. No, no, no. And the pastor actually walks out and he's, he's Chicano. So I look at him and I tell him in Spanish, Oye, padre, puedo hablar contigo. Tengo esas preguntas. I want to talk to you. And so he's kind of taken back by my appearance, but he says, come on. And he ushers me in his office. Uh, I asked that man some real serious questions and, some of them, most of them he could not answer. And that really frustrated that man. And when I left, he was cursing and screaming at me. And that shook me, Holmes. That shook me. You know, this dude saying, you know, you want God to love faggots. He's telling me this to my face. And, you know, I, I, I was raised in the old, old school mentality that, you know, if you were gay, you didn't talk about that. It was still very not out. Uh, when I was growing up and, and me being a Vato, you know, like you can imagine it's very hardcore machismo. Like that's really, really considered looked down upon. So anyhow, uh, I don't feel that way myself, but personally, I'm just saying like, that's where I come from. So this pastor preacher who was like probably in charge of like the spiritual destination of this whole community is like, I've threw him off his rocker. He freaked out homes. And so that really shocked me. And I was like, wow. Um, whatever I have that's between me and a higher power, it's between me and that higher power. This is just some dude who drank too much coffee earlier and is sitting in this stained glass building. And I saw it for what it really was. And I was like, you know what? I remember us being really poor when I was growing up. Like after my mom paid the bills, like the, the rent and the light bill, that woman had $20 to her name and a handful of food stamps. And we had to make it on that. But we went to church every Sunday and every Sunday, they take a few of our precious dollars that we needed so bad, homes for survival. And they look down on us because we could only afford to put the one or two dollars in that basket. And that always bothered me, homes since I was a little kid. I was like, you know, how dare this dude shake his head at me because, you know, we're a single family, uh, single parent family, and we don't have a ton of money. And, and now as an adult, I'm like, not saying that all parishes and all organized religion uh, I can't do a blanket acquisition. I could just say that in my experience, that's the business, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's sad because there's people that are not strong enough or too fearful to think for themselves. And so they follow the direction of whatever rhetoric is documented and, and been ingrained into society. And I just think that everybody owes it to themselves to find out what they want to believe in and what they, what they honestly, truly in their core feel, you know, some kind of like unity with because if you research the catholic church and when i did that's i was like whoa 
dang, Holmes. Like, these vultures are more gangster than me. Like, yeah, way is- more. Holy crap. Gnarly you know? shit. You know? And so, yeah, I'm spiritual. I definitely do believe uh, in, in a power outside of myself. But I also believe in my own power. And I believe that, you know, I come from that source. And so I have a direct connection to it. You know, I, I, uh, uh, no one knows this, but I fell ill, uh, when I moved here to Northern California to, to finish this film and I would go in the doctors. No one could figure it out. I was losing a bunch of weight. I couldn't get out of bed and I'm a strong cat. Like it's, it scared the family to our core. Like, you know, I couldn't get out of bed homes and, uh, went to the doctors and they couldn't figure it out. They're like, you're healthy as a horse, you know? And, uh, eventually they said that I, I probably had a brain tumor. So, uh, what I did was I decided not to put my, uh, not to put my focus in Western medicine because I don't believe in it. I understand that it's a business and that it's, it's real similar to the Catholic church. It's got a lot of, uh, I don't want to say Catholic church. It's real similar to other organizations that benefit off the suffering others. So anyways, I called my homeboy, uh, who's actually my business partner. And I'm telling him about this situation, you know, cause I've been sick for quite a while. And, uh, he says, I'm going to give you a phone number. You call this too. And I'd met this cat one time at like a production party or something in LA. And, uh, I have a week, uh, I, I have a weekly appointment with this, this Vato over the phone. He's in South London and, uh, he's a healer, uh, metaphysician. And, and so, uh, a year, I think it's not even quite a year later, completely back on my feet, uh, got all vision restored. Cause I didn't have vision in one of my eyes for quite oh. some time. Uh, and, uh, I had like real serious balance issues. So whether or not I did have a tumor in my brain, I don't know. And I don't care Holmes <laughs> cause I'm up. You know what I mean? And, uh, I choose to put my energy into something that, uh, felt more pure and more true to me. So it's similar in my faith. It's like there's organized religion and then there's a relationship that you inherently have if you're willing to explore that with where you come from. And that's where I'm at, you know? All right. And uh, how would you define success? Easy. I would define success in being blessed in this experience of life to have the right trials tribulations and hurdles to give you the ability to grow into the strongest most pure version of yourself because you know for me to say to be happy that's a big word man and that means all kinds of different things to all kinds of different people um but to be successful in the realm that i'm speaking of if you require financial gain you would you would have that during that experience if you needed a partner in life you could acquire that you know it's like Everything that we experience outside of ourselves is a direct reflection of what's going on inside, man. And it's like, if you're willing to do the work in here and get this right, all this other stuff just starts to fall at your feet. And that's the true trick of life, in my opinion, is to realize that if you are strong enough and devoted enough to say discipline and research, true knowledge and simple wisdom, and you apply that to your own self, you can start to see things in your life get real Real feed me, <laughs> Well, muchas gracias, Chuko. Yeah. That was yeah, awesome. It was man. a pleasure.
uh, I look forward to speaking to you again uh, on, a, on a more, you know, one-on-one. Yeah, and uh, I look forward to actually meeting in person again someday. Yeah, great. I'll shake your hand someday soon. <laughs> cool, man. Well, okay, homeboy. pass my love on to Amber, and I look forward to meeting her. And thank you so much, man. Orale. All right. Rato. Costa Rica. You can find his music on Bandcamp. And this song is called Cosmic Pilgrim. cool is that dude man what a rad conversation i was so stoked to talk to him so stoked with how open he was and uh man what an inspirational dude uh hit subscribe sign up to my podcast 
that's what people do right you got to sign up and then i can like have more listeners and then you could hear more conversations and then like i could put hidden stuff at the end maybe like burps or farts and stuff who knows who's to say i mean there's endless possibilities but if you hit subscribe then you'll be subscribed and then you'll know when stuff comes out and then maybe you'll like look at it one day and be like oh man look at what i could listen to i could listen to this new interview with this really interesting person that's how it works i mean hopefully hopefully that's how it works let's find out Child.